I'll say it again. Good morning, family. How's everybody doing? Welcome to week seven of Awaken, and we're going to define that in just a minute. I want to always remind ourselves that one of the things that we are praying for is spiritual awakening in our lifetime, in our area, right? I believe that the Lord's prayer it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I believe that's been done for one, amen? Jesus said, I mean, he's, he left, but he also went through the resurrection of Christ. All of that happened in real time. But here's the thing. I believe he also releases it to us in greater measures over time and in specific times. So one of the things we're praying for is spiritual awakening. You might call it revival. You might call it harvest. And so a couple of years ago, Max Lucado sat down with me and some other guys, and he said, God has put something on my heart, and he shared with us what we now call the Harvest Vision Mandate. The idea there is that we believe that God is willing that none should perish, but that all are to come to repentance, right? That he has a desire to see all saved. We believe that. And so when Max released that word over us, I took that as a mandate, not as a, an option. And so we've been leaning into that, and for the last two years, everything we're doing, and I can tell you for me personally, everything I'm doing is actually being shaped by the Harvest Vision Mandate. And it's this mentality that God wants to release something over Fredericksburg and the Texas Hill Country, unlike anything we've ever seen, unprecedented. Can you get an amen? amen? And sometimes we amen by faith, and that's good. We walk by faith and not by but I believe we're going to see some things. Amen? You join with me in that prayer. So today we're going to talk about being awakened to new life. We're continuing through the book of Ephesians, but I want to share something as we move forward. And uh, can you advance that screen for me? It's not wanting to advance. Oh, there we go. So look at this, the screen right there. This is something Max shared with me about two weeks ago. Just shot me a text. He said, during my prayer time this morning, the Lord gave me the most wonderful picture. The whole of the United States was a wheat field. A gentle breeze was blowing, causing the wind to bend, the wheat to bend ever so gently in harmony. The sky was crystal blue and the wheat was tan. You know what that says to me? Harvest is here. But you know what else it says to me is that we need to pray to the Lord of the harvest for workers to be sent into his harvest. Guess what I'm looking out upon? I'm looking out upon a lot of workers Last week, we had about 450 between the two services. This week, we'll have something like that. And I'm telling you, can you imagine 450 people lit up with a vision for harvest and saying, here am I, send me, Lord. That's really all we're asking. Would you step up and just say, here we are, Lord. Use us in our spheres of influence, where we live, where we work, where we play. Use us to build bridges of life and hope to everybody we come in contact with. Amen? Would you join me in that prayer right now? Father, in the name of Jesus, we're standing before you, even as Isaiah in chapter 6 stood before you, and he said, woe is me. We're saying, whoa. Whoa, God, you're amazing. God, you're amazing. Thank you that you have released a vision for harvest among us. And Father, I, even as I stand here, I'm overwhelmed by the fact that the five-fold ministry of Ephesians 4 is represented right here in this body all across this room. We have apostles in here, missionaries. We have prophets, those who declare truth. We have evangelists, those who win souls. We have shepherds or pastors that take care of people, and we have teachers that love the Word of God and teach it without compromise and without limits. 
And I thank you this body is filled, filled with all of these. So, Father, we're before you as a people saying, here we are. Send us. I'm asking you, just under your breath, would you just say, here am I, send me. Just say that to the Lord. Here am I. That doesn't mean you have to have it all figured out or know what all that means. Just that you're available. God's not looking for your abilities. He's looking for your availability. So, Lord, we make ourselves available to you. You've given each one of us a sphere of influence. And we want to fulfill our call, fulfill our potential within that sphere. And we declare it done in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Let me just put a caveat to that, by the way. That's not so we can grow Bridge Church. It's so we can grow the body of Christ across the hill country. Amen? Amen. It's not about one congregation. It's about all of us together because we're better together. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let's continue on. Now, definition of awakening, spiritual awakening. We've been going over this, but I'm going to go back over and recover a little bit of ground, lest somebody new here. To become fully conscious, it means to stir up. I love that. To stir up or to activate. If you've ever activated something, a lot of times I'll buy something and a remote will have, it'll come like that and it'll have a little tab in it. You know what that means? That means it won't work until I activate it. How do I activate it? I pull that little piece of plastic out and now the battery makes contact and now I have power. Here's the thing. A lot of believers need to pull the plastic out so the battery will make some contact so we can get activated and this thing starts to work and suddenly life begins to work as it is meant to be. And we begin to celebrate and enjoy the abundant life Jesus said we have in Christ, right? How do we have to be activated? So my prayer for you, by the way, can I ask a question, survey question? Has anyone felt a disturbance in the force lately? You're welcome. I'm praying for that for you. I'm asking the Lord to disrupt us. I'm asking the Lord to disrupt you. I'm asking the Lord to disturb you with a holy disruption, a divine disturbance. Why? Because here's a fact. None of us really change without disruption. Think about every major course change in your life. It happened because of disruption. It happened because you had to navigate trouble. You had to navigate a situation. You had to navigate pain. And by through adjusting that to that and navigating that, you learn new skills. You have new competencies. You've got more capacity. You have more faith. And you lean into God and you know Him better because of the pain. You know Him better. There is a purpose in the pain. And so I'm praying that God, because He loves us so much, will divinely disrupt our lives. You're welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. But don't curse me now. Don't say, hey, quit praying that prayer. No, no, no. Spiritual awakening. Listen to this. To become fully conscious and aware of the truth that already is. Here's the thing. If we would just unpack what already is true in our lives, Christ in us and through us, the hope of glory, the confident and joyful expectation of a desired good, hope of glory, that's hope. Glory means His manifest presence. Can you imagine if we would realize the truth that already is? Christ is already in us. I'm looking at a bunch of containers out here that need to become rivers. Amen? Amen. Containers of Christ in us, but Christ through us. The confident and joyful, joyful, confident and joyful expectation of a desired good. That's what this is about. Awakening, spiritual awakening revival, to me, I think there is a component where something comes in. The Holy Spirit moves, comes in. 
But I think more often than not, the real awakening that needs to happen in us is from within, where we begin to realize, I am a container of the power of God. I have living within me the one who created the spinning ball that we live on. I have in me the mind of Christ. I am the righteousness of God. That's not confidence or arrogance. All that is is agreement and alignment with the revealed Word of God. His Word is His will and His way. His Word is His will and His way. And as we align ourselves to it, we awaken to the truth that already is. Amen? Awaken. So turn to your neighbor and say, wake up. To become fully conscious, aware of the truth that already is, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Look at this. To stir up and to activate what and who you already have living in and through you. Christ died for us so he could give his life to us. So he could live his life, what? Help me, somebody. Through us. Do you realize Jesus wants to live his life through you? You want to impact your workplace? You want to impact the place where you live, your family? You want to impact where you play? Release what is already there and awaken to it. I'm telling you, we'll, we'll experience revival. Amen? So let me help you out with something. This is a principle we've been leaning into every week where we're learning what it means to say and pray the Word of God, to declare truth. But we have to stand on truth before we can declare truth. And what we've learned so far in this series called Awakening, week seven, Awakening to New Life, but what we've learned so far up to this point is very simple, that one of Paul's central truths is this. I used to be this, but now in Christ I'm this. How many of you believe that's good news? You used to be over here, dead in your trespasses. I mean, he goes through a whole litany of things that we were were a part of. But once we're delivered from that because of Jesus Christ, we're now over here in Christ. I am now. And we got a little help for you because to learn to declare and speak the Word of God precipitates that you know the Word of God. But not all of us have the Bible memorized yet, right? We're working on it. So in that process, we got a little help for you. Bill Loveless provided these for us. We've given out about 1,000 of these here in our church over the last two years, 400 just in the last two weeks, and I got 200 more from Bill this last week. He was with us on Wednesday night, by the way. So they're bookmarks, and all he has done is taken the Scripture and put it into the form of, In Christ I Am. One of the most bold statements you can say, but is also a statement of truth. And so here's how, how this works. For example, I used to be this, but now in Christ I am. And you can take that simple bookmark based on the Word of God, and you can declare, speak out loud over your life, in Christ I am fearless. Ooh, I like that one. I am fearless. But wait, I'm feeling fear. No, no, I walk by faith and not by sight. So I'm fearless because the Word of God says I'm fearless, and I'm aligning myself to what God's Word says, not what I feel. I'm not moved by what I feel. Not blue. I'm moved by the truth of God's Word. And so you can say, in Christ, I'm fearless. In Christ, I'm confident. In Christ, I'm worthy. Oh, some of you need to say that a thousand times in a row. In Christ, I've been made worthy because of what He has done for me. In Christ, I am free. Come on, somebody. 
So what this is, this is a simple tool. They're up here on the edge of the stage. I've got another hundred sitting there. I'd love to see all of them gone by the time we're done. So at the end of the service, feel free to come get as many as you want. It's like the old Doritos commercial. We'll make more. We'll get more for you. So doesn't matter. Take them and give them to your friends. This is a way to help people discover who they are in Christ. And then on the backside of it, it's got all kinds of truth. This is loaded with truth. And thank you, Bill Loveless, Uncle Bill, Papa Bill, whatever. For, uh, for blessing us with these. So I want you to get into these. Now, awakening to new life is realized and activated, here it is, by declaring, pray, praying, and speaking God's truth or God's word over and into your life. How many of you know words are powerful? Amen. Our words are power containers. When we speak, something has to give. It's aligning our thoughts, feelings, and spirit with God's will and God's ways. That's it. That's how we activate, pull the tab and get power to this thing, get power to this thing. That's how we do it. So let's go dive into the Word. Remember Paul wrote this from a Roman prison cell just before he died. It could have been the last thing he wrote before he died. We're not sure. Some say it is, some say it isn't. But we do, do agree that from one to three years after he wrote this letter, he was martyred in that Roman prison. And here's the thing. I look at somebody who knows they're about to die. He knew that any moment a... a a centurion could come in and grab him, or a jailer could grab him and take him to be killed and martyred, which it did happen, but he knew every day. So everything he wrote from that posture was important, and it had weight and gravity to it. How many of you know the last words of somebody are pretty important, right? For example, we attended a funeral yesterday of a man named Terry Benningfield. Well, he was a model of a man for me. He was one of my first elders that I brought on at, at Grace Point Church in Abilene. And he was, my, he was with us for 10 years. And then he was diagnosed with esophageal cancer, and then it just went down from there. And he's had a bout of that since 2014. He lost his fight to cancer but won his war and has a new body and has experienced the ultimate healing. We attended that funeral essay. It's one of the most powerful, amazing funerals I've ever been at. But a week ago, just a week ago from Saturday, he's at a picnic with Grace Point Church. That's the church I pastored. Oh, they're all together enjoying a picnic. And Pastor Rich says to Terry at the end of, of their time together, Terry felt good enough to go, and he said, hey, would you pray over us? And Terry prayed a prayer that he always prayed, and something always came out of his mouth. It's an echo from the, from the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis where he says this. He says, Lord, we are blessed to be a blessing. That came out of that man's mouth all the time. Everybody knew Terry knew that was going to come out of his mouth. We are blessed to be a blessing. He prayed that prayer over that people, and he went home, and within a few hours, he had passed on. I'm telling you, the weight of those words as they were uttered in that funeral yesterday, knowing those were Terry Benningfield's last words in public, not to his family, but in that larger setting, I felt the weight and the gravity of those words. I am blessed. We are blessed to be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. Can we say that out loud? Would you say it with me? We are blessed to be a blessing. Just feel the weight and gravity of those words. When Paul wrote this, knowing that this may have been his last testament, so to speak, he wrote these words with intent and purpose. As we dive in, I want to 
want to just highlight some things out of this. So I tell you this. This is verse 17, Ephesians chapter 4. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the non-Jewish people do, the Gentiles. Remember, he was in what we would see as modern-day Turkey. At the time, it was Asia. And he had been in Ephesus, spent two, three years in Ephesus in the midst of his missionary journeys. Remember, he's an apostle because he's a sent one. He's a missionary. And in the midst of that, he established a really large outpost in a thriving church in, in Ephesus. And so he's writing this letter to, to the Ephesians, the church there, the church at Ephesus. But it's a circular letter, so actually it's written to all believers. And they would circulate that letter as it went. So he's writing it, and he says this, and you got to understand, these were a lot of Gentile people, but there were a handful of Jews that lived in Ephesus, at least enough to have a synagogue. That means there were at least ten. So he says, he's writing, he says, I insist on the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Where the head goes, the body goes, right? And where the shepherd goes, the sheep go. It's, it's, it goes that the head is the center, the seat of the mind, will, and emotions. And he says this, in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding. There's another mental thing. And separated from the life of God because of the ignorance. Ignorance here doesn't mean they're stupid. We say that, uh, you're ignorant. That means you're dumb. That isn't what he's saying. He says literally ignoring truth. They're ignorant, so they don't know the truth. So, he's, so think of it in those terms. They're separated from the life of God because they don't know the truth that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Their hearts were hardened to the truth. And because of that, they did not hear truth. So, look at this. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to these things, sensuality, so as to indulge every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. In other words, the governor was off their life. There were no boundaries, and in a very real sense, they were just primal. They were living from their feelings, their emotions, and their whims. Why? Because their hearts were hardened to truth. That, however, is not the way of life you learn. Paul now turns, and he does this often where he flips the script, and he does it here. That is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Not only is truth in Jesus, Jesus is the truth, right? John 14 tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the what? The life. He's our life, our source. And he says, in accordance with the truth. That's how you learn. In other words, he's saying, it transformed your life. You were changed, but not the Gentiles, not them. They resisted, but not you. And then look what he says. Remember, you were this, but now you're this. And he says this, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. That means change your identity. And literally, it's like putting on a jacket or taking it off. When I was in high school, Annette and I talked about this, we traded identities like baseball court cards, right? I was an athlete one week, then I was a motorcycle racer the next, I did all those, and then I was a, I was a rocker the next week, standing on the hood of my 69 Chevelle while Ronnie Montrose was rocking out on rock candy. About three of you know exactly what I just said, the rest of you are like, I have no idea what he's talking about. We traded identities like baseball cards, and we tried them on. Did it fit? Does it work? Do I like this? 
Well, that was four or five identities, right? You had the jocks, the kickers, the stoners, the athletes. Uh, you had, I mean, we, we had these little groups. Nowadays, you've got hundreds of identities that the next generation's trying to sift through. Hundreds. It is not the same as it was for you and I. But he's talking about identity, and he's saying, you put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude or spirit of your minds. Why does this mind thing keep coming up? We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. And to put on the new. You're taking off the old, and now you're literally putting on the new. And look what it says. Put on the new self, created to be in the similitude like God. Remember the scripture tells us in the book of Genesis that we are created in the in Latin, the imago Dei, the image of God. He's saying here, you're putting on the new self, which was created to be in the imago Dei of God, the image of God. Man, what a beautiful picture. In true or authentic righteousness and holiness. Remember what we read in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27? And he'd been made to be holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. That's who you are. You're not holy because you act holy. You're holy because he made you holy. You're not righteous because you act righteous. You're righteous because he's made you righteous. It's your identity now. Some of you are going, well, wait a minute. I don't act righteous. That doesn't matter. <laughs> we walk by faith and not by sight. Does not matter? Because here's the deal. He's already made you to be that if you're a child of God. You're already that in Christ. Oh, man, that's a mind blower. But what if I acted up last night? Well, yeah, welcome to the human race. You did. So did everybody else. Here's the thing. Truth is not contingent on what you believe. Truth is truth, and God's Word is truth. He says, you've been made to be righteous. You've been made to be holy. You've been made to be blameless. You've been made to be above reproach, which literally means unaccusable. The enemy cannot accuse you before the throne of God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Are you in Christ? Well, but I acted up. But are you in Christ? It's not fair, but it is kingdom. God never said anything about being fair, but he did talk about justice. And every penalty that you have earned past, present, and future has already been paid for in Jesus Christ. That's why it works. Because you have already been bought with a price. You're not even your own anymore. Shall I keep going? Truth will set you free. Amen? Look at this. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. This is out of Romans 12. It says this, But let God transform. That means change. Literally change your form. That's what transform means. Change your form. Change your shape. Change who you are. It says this, By changing the way you think. Notice it says, let God transform you into a new person, not by you changing the way you think, but God transforming you by changing the way you think. God is doing the transforming. God's doing the changing. We just have to lean into and line ourselves up with his word. When we're in alignment, change happens. And look what it says. You'll be changed by the way you think. There's that mind thing again. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You want to know God's will? Lean into and receive the fact that he's transforming you through a changed mind, a renewed mind. Now listen to this passage out of 1 Corinthians. This one is a mind blower. 
For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? And then listen to this. But we have the mind of Christ. The mind, do, you think, do you think Jesus is smart? Just throwing that out there. He created Australia. We know he's big, right? The one who hovered over the waters, the spirit that hovered over the waters, the one that raised Christ from the dead, the one who started this whole thing, that mind is in you. Part of the prayer of being awakened is awakening to the truth that already is. And the truth that already is is that you have the mind of Christ. Do you know you have all the solutions available to you? I know, mind blower. But truth is not contingent on how I feel. And it's not contingent on what I believe. Truth is truth. This is the truth of God's Word. So that means this. I'm in a meeting. We've got a board of stuff up there. There's problems that need solutions. Guess what I can do? Oh, this is where it's fun being a Christian. I can say, Father, in the name of Jesus, your Word tells me I've been given the mind of Christ. Oh, Lord, I tap into that which I already have. I awaken to the truth that's mine, that I have the mind of Christ. Lord, we need a solution. We have an issue. We need a solution. I tap into, lean into the mind of Christ, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, words of knowledge, words of wisdom. That's all there. Lord, I lean into it. Now, Lord, reveal to us your answer. Let me tell you what God cannot wait to do is speak to you. The God who spoke still speaks. The Holy Spirit who acted still acts. Can I get an amen? He wants to give us solutions. He wants to speak to us because we have been given the mind of Christ. Now, truth is, that doesn't mean we always activate it. Can I get an amen? We're activating other things, right? We're thinking with other minds, and it's not always His. But let me tell you, it's available to the child of God, the one who's been born again, born of the Spirit, born from above. You have within you the mind of Christ. That's not Jimmy talking. That's the Scripture. Amen? I know. Our minds are all blown right now. Hang in there. Ephesians 4.25, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. I'm not even going to open that up. For we are all members of one body. I love that. Now, here it is. I'm going to camp on this. We'll end on this. In your anger, do not sin. Now, another translation says, be angry, but do not sin. And people have leveraged that to say, oh, it's okay to be angry. Let me just say something about this. First of all, you're going to get angry. Amen? Hello? Just drive in San Antonio. I'm just saying. You're going to get mad, or maybe that's just me on the tent. You're going to get upset. Here's the deal. The key is not that you're going to get upset. You validate. It's real. you got real emotions. The issue now is what you do with that anger. Anger is not sin in itself. It's an emotion. But what you do with it can certainly make the difference of whether it becomes sin or whether it's actually handled. Anger is an interesting thing. Did you know that depression is anger turned inward? Do you know people are depressed because they're mad at themselves? Or they have unresolved anger that never got dealt with. Here's how this works. This is from my therapeutic world days. Here's where you want to be. These are your expectations. Here's where you're living. Unmet expectations create a disparity between where you want to be and where you are. It's that disparity 
And to the degree that there is a disparity, that's the degree of anger that registers in your life, registers in your mind, registers in your feelings, registers in your physical body. Depending on the disparity, where are your expectations? If your expectations are high on everybody, let me tell you something. You will live a disappointed life. You will live an angry life. And if you don't know how to deal with that anger, it will turn inward and you will become depressed. It will take you down. It will metastasize like cancer. I remember when I was working at Buckner Children's Home and we had this one kid who would act out. His name was Travis. Travis would act out at the drop of the hat. And back in those days, we would have to physically take him down. And we'd put him in a basket hold and hold him and talk him down and try to de-escalate him. And they were a danger to themselves and others. And we'd get the call over the, over the walkie-talkie, oh, come over to cabin C. And I'd go, I bet that's Travis. And it was. And we would take him down. What Travis, well, what the, I'm almost afraid to say this out loud now, but what I used to do is I'd whisper into his ear, I'd say, in the name of Jesus, you are a son. In the name of Jesus, you're chosen. In the name of Jesus, you're a child of God. Because Travis had given his heart to Jesus, but he was acting out on all this anger, rage, and abuse that had happened in his whole life. I remember one time, and we actually got to where we could read Travis so well, because he would act out, so we would hold him. He wanted to be held. And he would at any cost be held, any cost be touched, physical touch. We got to, it got to be where we, you could almost like set your clock, okay, uh, Travis about to act out. So we, we figured it out. So I knew he was about to blow, and sure enough, I saw him escalate, and I said, Travis, come with me right now. So I caught him off guard a little bit because he's like, wait, where are we going? I said, come on out, and he was like starting to escalate, and you could watch him do it. And I took him out back, and we stood there, and there was a pile of rocks, out in the back with a bunch of caliche, and there was an empty trash dumpster there, and I picked up a big rock, and I went, boom! And he's like, I said, your turn. He picked up one, boom! We cleared out that whole area of rocks, and we just beat that dumpster to a pulp. We just... And we looked at each other when we were done. I said, you feel better? He goes, I do. And he goes, do you feel better? I said, I feel great. What did we do? We took and redirected that anger, which could have been so destructive. It was destructive for that dumpster. (laughs) But it could have been destructive for somebody else. And we were able to redirect and de-escalate that anger. Let me tell you something. If it is not dealt with, it will go inside. And when it goes inside, it will eat you up from the inside out. I'm reading a book right now. Oh, if you want to read a hard but enjoyable... It's one of those... The guy's funny... So you're laughing, but he's delivering truth like a bomb. And so you're laughing and going, oh, whoa, that hurts so good what I just read. It's a book called Unoffendable. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. In other words, you, you've got permission for a moment to, to just acknowledge I'm angry. But you cannot live there. You cannot keep it. You do not have a right to keep your anger. I'm not even going to get into unforgiveness. That's the next stage, but... Let's just deal with this. It says, and then it says, and do not give the devil a foothold. I, I did a little study on that. The word foothold it means literally a place or a space with a boundary. In other words, it's literally a space. Do not give the devil a space. Where do we give the enemy a space? Where do we give the devil a space? We give him mental space. We give him space in our emotions. We give him space in our heart. We give him space in our spirit. We give him space, and let me tell you, he loves to occupy space. 
He loves to. The Bible says that when a demon, a spirit's cast out of a man, he goes through waterless places, coming back to that man, finding the house swept and clean. In other words, there's been nothing to fill the gap. Enemy's gone. The house is clean. It says he brings back seven more worse than the first. And the state of that man is worse than from the first. That's, what, that's, the, that's the principle involved in this. So the enemy loves space because he loves to occupy. He says here, don't give the devil space. Well, how do we not give him space? By not holding on to anger. By not letting it rest, reside, or live in us. Amen? So I want to share something out of the book of Unoffendable by Brant Hansen. Big hint, you should get that book. Unoffendable Brant Hansen. Our staff is going to read this book together, by the way. This is a book that everybody needs to read. Now, here's what he says in the book. He says, I'm not entitled to anger because I'm me. I can't handle anger. I don't have the strength of character to do it. Only God does. We can trust him with it. Jesus gets angry, but his character is beyond question, so he is entitled. See, say, he's God. He can handle it. I can't. Now listen to the next statement. We all think that we deserve to carry anger, but it will destroy us unless we let it go. We have to deny ourselves, die to ourselves, and surrender ourselves, whatever it takes. Look at that first line again. We all think we deserve to carry anger. For every step you take away from the cross, for every step you go away from Jesus, there will be 12 or 15 people, and some of those will be Christians, telling you you're justified in your anger. You should be mad. The world's a dark, it's a jungle out there. The world's losing its mind. Or to use the old adage that I used to hear all the time, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Everybody'd say amen. Ooh, yeah. The world that God so loved. See, we can get mad at the world or we can go, wait a minute, this is the world God wants to redeem. Now he's willing that none should perish. Wait, the harvest is the world. Maybe we shouldn't stay mad at it. Maybe I don't have a right to be angry and offended at the world. I'm a resident here too. I drive a car stupidly sometimes too. Maybe I don't have a right to be mad at the world. But there are a lot of people that are. And if you're the person standing in front of them, you catch the brunt of their anger at the world. You know what I'm talking about? Anger. There'll be people validating you in your anger, even Christians. And oh, Lord, let's not even talk about social media validating you in your anger and dysfunction. They're like, hang on to it, coddle it, nurse it, rehearse it. Don't curse it, keep it. And like cancer, it eats us up from the inside out. And then we wonder why it's not working for us. There's only one thing we can do with anger. Now, there's steps, and this is a journey. I'm not even going to try to oversimplify this right now. We're going to talk more about it. In fact, in January, we're going to have a panel discussion on this platform on a Sunday where we're going to deal with mental health issues in the church because we need to be aware, we need to destigmatize this thing so that people feel safe to go, I'm having a problem here, and not feel the judgment and scorn because they didn't get the word on it. So 
We're going to do that. We're going to have a panel of professionals up here, and they're going to unpack some things for us so we can be mindful and aware that all of us are struggling with something. And there is no perfect people allowed. That's what the sign on that wall says. It's invisible. But it's there. But we're going to address this head on because we've got to address real issues that are impacting you right where you live. And know there are answers for it and biblical solutions for it. Amen? So we're going to be doing that in January. But right now, it's, I, can't, I don't want to oversimplify this, but I will say this. You need to take a step on the journey. And the first step is this. It's asking for help. And the first place you go is not your best buddy, the be, the first, or it's not social media, Lord help mercy. What the best place you go is to God himself, Amen. right where you're sitting, and just say two words, help me. Help me. That's where you start. It's not where you end. We sometimes use God as the last resort. He's the footnote. He's the addendum. But he needs to be central in our life, the Christocentric life. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in us, the hope. Help me. Right where you're sitting, we don't have to close our eyes, put on any music or anything. We have to lower the lights. Just right where you're sitting, just under your breath, just say, help me. Just be honest. That's the first step to freedom, is admitting we need help. And so this anger thing that's eating us up, this offense thing that's destroying us, it is the Trojan horse in the church. Because if you're offended, instead of addressing you as a brother or sister, saying, hey, look, let's talk about that. You don't need to be offended. You need to let that go. No, we coddle people in their offense. We coddle them in their anger. And we actually foster it and enable it. And now we become part of the problem. Or even worse, we pick up their offense. And that's where it gets so, that's where it spreads like cancer through a body. And it is destructive. I've watched it destroy churches and ministries. Offense, the Trojan horse in the church. So we just have to say in our, in our heart, it stops here. It stops today. I refuse to be offended. I will be an unoffendable person. I heard Michael W. Smith say one time, two things he wanted in life. One was to never, ever miss the heart and will of God in a matter. But the second thing, I, he determined to never be offended again in his life. I thought, boy, that's a, good, that's a good thing to have. Determined to never be offended again. Unoffendable. So let me land with this. In your anger, do not sin. Don't keep it. Don't live with there. Don't let it stay. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a place. Do not give him any space. He will take advantage of it. He is an opportunist. So can you bow your heads and close your eyes? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to end with this. I'm going to invite you back to that simple prayer. Lord, <laughs> it's kind of what Peter prayed when he was sucking water. Remember when he tried to walk on water and he was just like went down. And he had a simple prayer. He said, Lord, help me. And the Bible says that Jesus immediately reached out his hand. And they walked back to the boat together on the water. Well, this is a similar situation. Some of you are drowning in anger and bitterness and offense. And we have a very clear mandate. By the way, this is an imperative, not an option. In the scripture, in the Paul's style of writing, it's an imperative. That means it's a mandate. It's an order. It's a command. 
So I want to invite you to lean in right now. Would you say, help me? Just say it to him. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. I want to be free. I want to be free of this thing. Tired of being mad. Tired of being angry. And I realize it's, it's eating me up on the inside. And it's time to move forward. At the risk of oversimplifying, because I don't want to, it's a deep issue. It can have many layers. And for some, you may need more help than a simple prayer. There may be some, some work that needs to be done. I don't want to ignore that. I want to acknowledge that sometimes there's layers to this. But at least we can take one step today. We can at least take one step forward. And let's together today do that. And just say, Lord, I need help. I need your help. I'm tired of this. I don't know about you guys. I, I, don't, I don't do well with anger. Annette will tell you I stay mad about 30 minutes, sometimes 30 seconds. I just I don't do well with it. I don't like it. I can't carry it. I'm not made to carry it. So I can't. So I just have to give it up, give it over. But that's easier for me than it is for some, and I understand that. So I don't want to belittle that or simplify. So Father, help us. We need help. This Trojan horse of offense and anger, is, it's just invaded the church to where we even validate it. We think we have a right to be anger, angry as though we think we have rights at all as followers of Jesus. According to your word, we don't have rights. We're dead. We've been crucified in Christ. We no longer live. And your word says that your word says that we have privileges as sons and daughters, but not a right to be mad, not a right to be angry. Give us grace to be unoffendable. And Lord, we know even as we hear this word, we will be tested severely this week. There will be opportunities for growth. So give us grace. Lord, let us look at driving a car as practice instead of living in offense, but practice to get over it, practice to grow through it. Let us learn, let us grow. We honor you and love you. We're going to have our prayer team up here at the front. If you want prayer for any reason whatsoever, maybe this reason, but maybe for another reason, or maybe for someone else you want to pray and have somebody stand with you, we want that. Or maybe you've never personally stepped over the line to go all in with Jesus Christ. We're here for you for that as well. You feel free to come forward. Let's all stand together. We're going to go out with worship as we continue in the spirit of Lord, help me. Thank you.